Hello, this is AI. Unfortunately, there were technical difficulties during this episode, specifically with Tracy's mic cutting out. But this is a good episode. I hope you enjoy. If you have money, go do the therapies. I would not be in the position I'm in 12 months later if I had not had professional assistance. Talking to friends is amazing and good, but they're limited by what they know and their perspectives. So look after yourself first. If you look after yourself, everything else will follow. Richard Branson, Michael Phelps, Justin Timberlake, James Carville. Wait a minute. Where are the women? Greta Gerwig, Lisa Ling, Audra McDonald, Simone Biles. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. They all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that now, do you? You know what else you don't hear about? Are the 43% of people with ADHD who are in excellent mental health. Why aren't we talking about them and what they're doing right? I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and that's exactly what we do here. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, and now the author of my new book, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm also a certified ADHD coach and the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a patented system that helps ADHD women just like you get unstuck and fall in love with their brilliant brains. Here, we embrace our too muchness and we focus on our strengths. My guests and I credit our ADHD for some of our greatest gifts. And to those who still think they're too much, too impulsive, too scattered, too disorganized, I say no one ever made a difference by being too little. Hello, hello, hello. I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for ADHD for Smartass Women. Before we start, I just want to remind you that our brilliant book of the same name, ADHD for Smartass Women, is out and we are killing it. You can find it at ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash book. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all of your efforts in making this happen because it would not be happening without you. I'm telling you, this is a movement. We are taking back our healthcare. So let me tell you all the exciting news. First, we were on CBS Mornings with Sarah Gelman, who recommended ADHD for Smartass Women as one of only five books to help you thrive in 2024. So Sarah is Amazon Books Editorial Director. She's so great. And she told me that CBS wouldn't allow the book to be put on the table with the other books because of the word ass. Yeah. She had to negotiate to be allowed to say the word once so she could actually introduce the book in the title. And I couldn't love this anymore. It's just so ADHD, isn't it? We can never just go along. We're always creating a challenge because, yeah, we're going against the grain, right? We have different ideas. So Sarah also shared that she has family members with ADHD. So neurodiversity and the importance of understanding from a neurodiverse point of view is really important to her. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah Gelman. We were also selected as an Amazon editor's pick for best nonfiction, probably how we got on CBS Mornings. 
And we've been number one in new releases in seven categories from behavioral sciences, attention deficit disorders, mental illness, popular psychology pathologies, medical psychology pathologies, personal success in business. But even better than that, we were number 60, 60 for all books on Amazon on any subject, not just new books. And we have been number one, not just for new releases, but for all books in the categories of behavioral sciences, women's studies, attention deficit disorder, disorders, and mental illness. Look, there's a lot more on the horizon, which I'll be sharing with you over the next couple of weeks. But thank you so much for all you've done to make this happen. Now, if you haven't bought the book, please do so to keep our momentum going. Maybe you have bought the book and you've been reading the book and you love it. And there are so many other women in your life who might be able to benefit from the book. Would you consider buying a copy or two for some of those friends and family members? Look, we want to change more women's lives. And you've already proved that you really help us to do that, right? And I know you want to change women's lives as well. So you can find the book at ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash book. And if you go there, you'll get all the links wherever you want to buy it from or whomever you want to buy it from. If you've purchased it, please then go to Amazon and leave a review. It makes a huge difference. And of course, if you purchased it from another bookseller, go leave a review there too. I so appreciate that. However, even if you didn't purchase it from Amazon, Amazon is the big review site. So please go to Amazon and review the book there. It really does make a huge difference. Finally, if you'd like to attend one of my book events, I would love to see you there. And you can find out more information by going to ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash happy women dinners. I would love to meet you in real life. And I understand there are still some spots left for our dinner in Los Angeles in February. There may be some spots for San Diego. I think San Diego's a lunch, but I'm not 100% sure that they'll still be available by the time this airs. And our virtual book club, I know there are spots left for that. That's going to begin at the end of this month, January. So I'd love to see you there as well. Just so you know, I don't make anything for participating in these events. Well, I sell a book, right? So my motivation is to meet you and get the word out about our book because we are literally changing women's lives together one book at a time. Now, onto the podcast. You know my purpose is always to show you who you are and inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't brilliant at something, not one. So for all of these reasons, I am just delighted to introduce you to Maya Ann. Maya lives in regional Australia and was recently diagnosed with ADHD the week before her 39th birthday. Just checking to make sure my mic is still going. Maya has an undergraduate double degree and honors in civil engineering and geology and a master's in geotechnical engineering. She works as a geotechnical engineer, mainly in underground mining. Go figure, ADHD. Maya is here to share about her personal experience, divergence and coercive control. Like many undiagnosed ADHD women, she fell into a situation where everything within the household was responsibility and her fault if she didn't get it right. 
Now she is choosing to use her trauma to educate and discuss the issue of control. Maya and her kids are now thriving post-separation. She's starting to find herself allowing empathy, educating others, being a better parent, and just being happy. She recently got a new little poodle who was meant to be her fourth child. He only has eyes for her. And suddenly she ended up with a boyfriend as well or instead? (laughs) Probably instead. Yeah, he doesn't care much for the kids. He loves me. But did you get the poodle? I did get the poodle, yeah. Okay, so it's both, right? Yes, yes, yes. It's as well. Yes. (laughs) Did I get all of that right? Yeah, that's correct. Wonderful. So let's start by talking about your diagnoses first. Can you tell me how that came about? Sure. Um, I do just want to stop and say thank you for um, creating such a a great podcast with so much informative information and such an amazing uh, network of women. It's pretty phenomenal. And the fact that you've done it yourself. Thank you. So I'll go back to my diagnosis story. So um, my diagnosis came very quickly, which I actually didn't mind because I know a lot of people suffer with hurdles of time and trying to get into the right people to get the diagnosis. So 12 months ago, I I knew my life wasn't going that well. So um, I was just not achieving. I wasn't a good mother. I wasn't a good wife. I wasn't a good friend. I wasn't a good employee. I wasn't a good daughter. Sort of I was failing in all parts of my life. So everything was on me. I was trying to do more, get more done, staying up two hours a night, trying to do things for my kids and then getting up early in the morning for work, trying to do more there. So in this part, I suppose a critical part for me was always my children. So I chose to seek help over positive parenting essentially. Um, Being just post-COVID, there was a lot of issues with um, trying to get into psychologists. So I ended up with a provisional psychologist um, who was mature age, so she was she was very good. Um, but on, I think my third session, walking out of the third session, I was literally out the door, as in the session finished, and she said, have you ever been um, tested for ADHD? And I sort of Googled online some of the online questionnaires that you can do and ticked 100% of the boxes, of course. And then the next, I was sort of, it was weird though, I was in shock, but I wasn't surprised. So the shock only lasted like 24 hours. Rang my psychologist the next day and she was like, oh, crap, I've done something, haven't I? And I'm like, mm-hmm, yes, you have. So we did the assessment the next day um, and I scored very highly there. And I asked you, so this idea came up and then did you go home and studying about, well, what does ADD look like if it's not what I thought it was? Yeah, exactly. So up until that point in my life, which was September last year, I knew zero, I absolutely knew nothing about neurodiversity or ADHD or anything else. It's not something that even I would have considered. I'm considered quite successful. Um, and yeah, I thought those people struggled with more with life, I suppose, and couldn't, you know, hold down jobs. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I just thought it, um, it impaired you so much that you needed assistance all the time. Yeah. So have ADHD and have a double degree and honors in civil engineering and geology and a master's in geotechnical engineering and be working in an underground mine as a geotechnical engineer. That's kind of what you were thinking. Yeah, I had no idea. I knew the, you know, the naughty five-year-old boy is probably what I knew growing up that had, you know, 
would take stimulants to calm down essentially. But I never looked into anything. It's not something that's ever been mentioned to me in my life or thought about or even that I do think differently or that I am different. It's never been brought up. And like everything's just always been my fault when I didn't understand things or I didn't comprehend how things worked or social situations. It was always just, oh, well, you're intelligent. You should get this. And I was like, well, I didn't, but okay. So was Maya like as a child? So me as a child, um, I was probably, I was very compliant. I did have straight stubbornness, but I generally followed the rules and did everything. So I was very good at school. I think I liked the routine and structure and, you know, you need to do this for this outcome. So um, I wasn't like top of the class or anything, but it was my preferred environment, I would say. So um, because of, I suppose, the way school's um, done, like there's a lot of socialization going on. So it's a lot, it's easy to make friends um, as a result because you're sort of, I don't know, for, forced interaction. I'm not sure if that's the right term, but everyone's there for a purpose. So sometimes my social behaviors, I don't understand a lot of some things that happen. Um, and when I suppose as a child, when I would ask, um, I would probably be more shamed and laughed at than um, no one explained it to me or told me like, cause they thought, Oh, you should know that that's simple. You know, you should get that. Um, so unfortunately there was a lot of shame growing up. Was that going on at home? Um, probably more so. So, I know my parents did the best they could and it was a pretty um, typical 80s, 90s upbringing. So they, you know, had no awareness themselves. So they supported me. Like I did a million activities and I was always busy after school doing heaps of stuff and they used to run me around constantly. <laughs> and so they, obviously, So ultimately they did the best they could do given the information they had at the time but Correct. they clearly loved you and they wanted you to succeed and be successful yeah. and happy, right? Yeah. So okay. their version of successful is, you know, doing well at school, going to university and all the rest of it. But I never felt like I fit in, especially with, I suppose, my family, extended family. I just, um, no one ever got me, no one understood me. And I don't know, just knowing you're different, you like try harder to fit in so it was one way because socially I was a bit awkward and whatever else I was like well if I can do well at school you know and it's not that people would like me or anything it's just more you fit into society and you can do what you want with your life I suppose post school and all that sort of stuff yeah um but I did have um, my my grandma was amazing she's one of my favorite people so um she was just a person that always accepted me for who I was and like we chatted a few times a week and everything and she just yeah always just supported me but differently to everyone else so um we had a pretty amazing relationship is she still yeah. around no she did oh, die a few sorry. years ago so I mean for her she always wanted to see me get married so she can yeah. see that obviously hasn't worked out but that's okay she and that's what they say right okay. that with ADHD you just need one adult who completely than you regardless yeah and you had that yeah yeah so um I suppose I just want to say like for the sake of this story and I will halfway through but um 
like this is my story, so it's my perceived views on everything. Of course. So there are people in my life that may not agree with what I said and they may have seen it differently. So You're I allowed just, to have your own story, Maya. I know, but I just want to um, say that, like, yeah, it's the way it happened in my head, which, you know, like for me is the truth, but for other people that may not be. So as a result of, I suppose, my continuing therapy journey, so I'm still doing that, um, I have more recently realised I'm autistic as well, which of course comes as a comorbidity with ADHD. Um, I actually I don't mind. I going to ask you. I don't mind my autism because I realise there's a rigidity in my thought process and I think it actually stops me from my impulsivity of my ADHD yes. sometimes. Yes, because <laughs> they're just opposing forces, right? But they kind of yeah. keep us in the, you know, I, I think that in my experience, women who are on both spectrums, and I honestly think it's all part of the same one, they seem to be able to function and be successful in a traditional way. Yeah. It's easier for them, I think, yeah. than Except women for who some are. of the social cues we miss, but yeah, besides yes, that. Yes, <laughs> but it's, it's that push and pull, you know, a complete structure and, you know, you can expect everything and then that freedom, right? I don't want, yeah. I don't want anything set in stone. So, but I think it does make you look a bit indecisive in some respects because you're like, my ADHD wants me to do everything and then my autism's like, mm, do you really understand that? I don't think you should do that. I don't think you get what's going on here. So it can make you look indecisive. And also with that, um, so if I have recently, and I, I don't know whether I like that my psychologist has actually told me because I have PTSD from my marriage and from my childhood actually. So... I think I'm still coming to grips with that. So since it's been validated, a lot of things have come out in my head that do that. So it's more the death by a thousand cuts, the small traumas that, um, and I feel that I had quite a privileged childhood and everything. So I actually feel a bit of shame over having PTSD over that because um, I know a lot of your beautiful clients come on with, you know, the most horrific trauma stories from their childhood and I was loved and I was looked after and yeah I really struggle in my head to comprehend that I can have trauma and that it exists in me. Um, The thing about it though Maya is everybody's different right what's traumatic to you may not be traumatic to me but what's traumatic to you may be really really traumatic to someone else so it's I I just don't think we can think that way. No well I mean, I've dealt with all the big trauma in my life pretty well, um, but it's the smaller stuff that's sort of getting to me now and now that it's revalidated. Yeah, I, it's things that are said in everyday conversation. Even my kids yeah. can trigger me. So but, um, being aware that my overwhelmed responses sometimes are trauma responses. I can't stop them yet. Like I'm not at a place where I can, but I can acknowledge them and then explain, especially to my children or something, that this is what's happened and this is why mommy did this. And then, so I don't apologize for the behavior anymore, but I do educate people on them um, just because it does exist in me and I can't, yeah, I'm not sort of healed enough yet to manage that, but it can just be someone saying like, I can't hear you or something and that'll shut me down because, you know, that's what my dad said. That's what my husband used to say. And I'm like, maybe they just can't hear you, you know, so I need to work through it still a bit more. And there's obviously now that it's invalidated, yeah, examples have come because I don't remember a lot about my childhood, which I thought was ADHD, but might be a bit of trauma too. Um, 
so yeah, combination yeah. of both, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and I think you're so right. I mean, obviously, you can feel however you want to feel. I shouldn't be telling you, you know, that's that's not helpful. But all of those little cuts can add up to one big trauma, and yes. we see that with ADHD and autism time and time again. So it's yeah. your experience. Yeah. And being undiagnosed, you don't know that you are different and there's a reason for that difference. And yeah, so I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm an advocate for diagnosis because I think it gives people um, an understanding at least of themselves. And I know some people choose not to go down being diagnosed. Um, and, but I think it allows you to understand a bit better with yourself and especially with kids, like it gives them, they go, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not, you know, like I just think differently and that's fine. Everyone thinks differently. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, so what else has changed since you were diagnosed? Literally everything. My life has no resemblance to what it did 12 months ago at all. Um, so sorry, like externally probably, you know, same house, same job, everything else, um, but not within myself. So um, I'm not sure whether to talk about my work now or talk about my husband, but that's all right. Um, I all, all comfortable talking about. Yeah. Um, so um, my, I was doing very poorly at my job as well. Um, so I had a couple of years, well, everything was not working. So um, people at work sort of didn't, and it's not their place either, but they didn't step up to see what's going on. So rather than, um, you know, trying to help, they just, you know, they end up putting you on a performance plan and other things, which I wasn't quite on, but I was getting a lot of feedback and, you know, a lot of micromanagement about what I was doing and how I was doing it. Um, so I, again, thought, oh, ADHD, use that as an excuse. Oh, yeah, cool. Um, you know, that's the, um, you know, the task initiation, the completing of task and whatever else. Um, so I asked you at work, did you tell them I've been diagnosed with ADHD? So I ended up, um, no, I haven't told everyone. So my managers still don't know. They say they're inclusive. I don't totally agree with that, but that, I mean, again, that might be my perception as well. So I was lucky enough to have a lady come in who I used to work with, um, as my senior and, she so she's been diagnosed with MS a couple of years before and she had a sort of a rough time at work around that diagnosis because that change you have brain fog and other things that do yeah. change the way that you can focus um and I didn't know what was going on that stage either but she just went okay Maya used to work with me she should be a good worker she did really well and now she's not I'll give her a plain sight and we'll work out what's going on because obviously something's going on in your life so I got the ADHD diagnosis. So I was like, I told, I confided in her about that. And then I work at a mine site. So we have drug tests, so um, stimulants show up and drug tests. So someone did need to know for that purpose anyway. Um, so then um, she was the only person I told initially um, and that worked for a while. Um, but then the interesting thing was once I went further with my husband, um, I'm now the understanding that, the control was worse for my work than what um, the ADHD was. So um, my what husband. What do you mean by that? What do you mean? Well, by my that? my husband's an engineer, and I'm an engineer, and I work with engineers. Um, so my husband sort of devalued me to a point where I literally I saw no value in myself whatsoever. So I thought, well, he thinks I'm you know stupid and unintelligent. I don't have anything to add. 
um, I work with engineers, why would they want to know what I have to add either? So um, even if I did work, I didn't think it was good enough. I didn't hand it in. So, of course, you're always in trouble for not completing tasks and things like that. Um, and a, a lot of things like that that I I didn't have the confidence and I couldn't advocate for myself because I was so devalued. So this senior coming in and actually um, advocate, well, as an adult, we don't need, we shouldn't need an advocate, right? But as an adult, I did. And so she came in and she's like, you know, because I was fighting with my managers about taking leave, about doing this, about like everything, everything was a fight for me, everything. And they were challenging me on everything. Whereas she came in and was like, give me a leave, let's do this, let's do that, let's work this out. And um, it, she didn't even help, like, I say that much, she helped me immensely. But, um, like, the time that she put in wasn't that much. It was just a different approach. Yeah. Um, and so with that, um, yeah, it changed my work life. Um, and then, yeah, so the realisation now is because um, I – can pretty much do my job again now I'm not like you know I do struggle with documentation and things like that that you would expect ADHD people to struggle with um but I'm very good at my job practically um so now and it's more the control because it's still like oh people always think this is good enough or people you know or people don't want to hear what I have to say so I never spoke up I never said anything in meetings I just became a shell of myself I was just yeah just Existing, but that's really. because you didn't think that anything you had to say was worth hearing, right? Yeah, exactly. And anything I did was not worth anyone's time. So, in and it seems stupid that, of course, like you know that you don't do work instead of doing bad work. I don't understand that, but yeah, for some reason I did my work and I never handed it in because I just it was never good enough, and everyone else was better than me and could do a better job. That sounds so, like learned helplessness, right? Which is, is what many women with ADHD struggle with. Yeah. Yes. Like why even bother? Nobody's going to like it. It's going to be wrong. So we just give up before we even try. And it, yeah, it's quite challenging as well when you're actually trying to do things the right way too. And then um, it still can't achieve your goals sort of thing. So um, at work, I'm not really open about my university, but I'm open about the quest of control because I can see that um, how it, it can happen with bosses and managers and things like that to um, workers. Um, you know, the relationship doesn't need to be intimate. It can be with anyone really and people can have that control of you and you might not even know it or realise it. So, um, yeah, for me the work one was huge because I probably, if it continued, I would have lost my job um, and, yeah, I forgot that I liked my work and now I remember that I do again. So I can see, yeah, I can see areas that I add more value, but um, it, you know, uh, at the moment I do need to get better at my job to then probably think about moving on and doing something different because um, I do like like the um, psycho safety sort of aspects of um, work and things like that, obviously with coercive control and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey, that's for sure. So, my question is, how did your husband respond on diagnoses? Okay, this is a good one. And like I said, I was, I was a bit um, scared to tell him initially. Um, and then I went, okay, well, this explains a lot of things. So, I'll sit down and tell him. And I just wanted a hug. And then um, he said, you've 
been emotionally unavailable. So why would I be emotionally available to you now? And that was pretty much the end of the conversation. So of course it made me sad and I thought, okay, that's a bit weird. That's a very odd reaction. And I didn't really understand or comprehend that. So did he, not like it's a religion or something, and I'm using air quotes, but did he believe in ADHD or he just thought it was a bunch of hooey? So no, he doesn't believe in ADHD at all. Um, So that came up later. Yeah, my second, my middle child has ADHD and more recently autism and he's the most amazing little kid and he's probably my easiest child. Um, and we had a joint session with his psychologist where my husband told me in front of me that ADHD didn't exist and it's not a thing and people just think differently. Um, and that, yeah, so he, he doesn't believe, he doesn't believe in it in my son either. So he's sort of not allowing, well, he doesn't agree with early intervention and things like that. Um, unfortunately, and when I live it, it makes it very challenging for me to, um, you know, sort of excuse that behavior. Um, but yeah, so no, he doesn't believe in it. I don't think he really believes in autism either. Like, yeah, there's just a thing. (laughs) I am curious before you got married, Mm -hmm. what was he like? Did you know this probably wasn't like you just had this inkling that I shouldn't be getting married to this person. So, well, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, like I've said, I think numerous times already that I knew I was different. I knew I was quirky. I knew I didn't fit in. I knew I was, you know, it, that things just were different for me. Um, so I didn't really have a lot of probably intimate relationships before meeting him. My psychologist may have said I was a bit inexperienced. So um, I... You know, I, I, you know, and most boys weren't really interested in me when I was young. So, um, you know, so probably didn't really have that opportunity. So, um, he's probably the first person that sort of, I suppose, openly loved me and everything else. Um, so he had, I mean, I had my quirks, which I knew about. He had his quirks. Um, you know, so I sort of went, well, you know, I'm quite accepting. So, um, you know, I'm different, he's different, he seems like me, so it's okay. Um, you know, he's, he's essentially a workaholic, so he does like work. We're both in mining, so it worked well, we're both together. Um, there were things like he, like he's, um, does like to drink, he doesn't drink very often, but when he does, sometimes the consequences can quite be quite dire. So, um, a lot of people, I suppose, didn't like that side of him, but I was sort of like, oh, he'll, I don't know, grow out of it or something. You know, we're all, when we met, we're all young and we did go out a little bit and all that sort of stuff. Um, but sort of as you get older, that behavior gets less, um, or less acceptable, I suppose. But Maya, were there red flags from the beginning and you just chose to, I'm not going to look at him. I'm not going to look at him. I don't know. Well, there's definitely like some things like, yeah, okay, I'll say yes. Um, I mean, I always did more around the house, but that's something that, you know, my mum always did more than my dad did and my dad did other things. So um, I was sort of brought up that that was, you know, women's job, I suppose, a little bit. Women's work. Yeah, so um, I always did more 
you know, there was an element like when he was working hard, he'd ignore me and things like that, um, which I just thought, oh, he, you know, he's concentrating on other things and whatever else. And then, you know, I probably, like I, well, I didn't, we were financially both contributing, but, you know, I was always the one paying the bills and stuff. Um, I have all the marital debt and things like that and he doesn't like debt and he would never give me money that he earned. So um, even to pay for cars and things that I couldn't really afford at the time. Um, Which is financial abuse. Yeah, it's financial control, that's correct. So that's why I'm glad I still have my job and I have my access to my money that I make. No, it's things like that, but you sort of go, oh, we're both together. So we, I know we both have money. It doesn't matter that much. And then everybody uh, has quirks. Yeah. Yeah. He just likes that. And so I actually chose to keep my money separate the whole time, which is maybe, I don't know, uh, you know, something that <laughs> should have been a red flag. And then I do remember saying like, kids, I used to say, oh, I do all the housework. And then it was very subtle. Oh, don't talk about the relationship. You shouldn't talk about us. Why are you talking about, you know, what I do? Um, and there was a few things like that that sort of snuck in. Um, so then you get trained to not speak about your relationship, which is why people don't know the position you're in because you're not communicating with anybody about it. Because um, it's all about control, right? He yeah. wants to be able to control you and any dialogue that gets out there. Yeah, so the, it definitely wasn't um, what it is now. You know, there was good times um, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, and it wasn't too bad probably until the last few years um, and he did get a new job where he works yeah, um, fly and fly out. So um, I think they're a bit more narcissistic in their culture there too. So it probably breeds and maybe it's an environment he likes, but it's sort of even my our mutual friends have sort of said it has gotten worse over time and they've seen the change mm-hmm. in him as well. So, yeah, there was definitely elements there, you know. Can I and ask they, you? You talked about these, like, I don't know, home duties and probably child duties that come with, you know, having a family. You're both mining engineers. You're both making, I guess, somewhere close to the same amount of money and probably. Uh, He's moved up. I've had kids and taken time. Okay. Okay. The kids stuff. He's been able to work more hours, but the only reason he's been able to work more hours is because it sounds like you've taken on all the house stuff. So why does he think that if you guys are both mining engineers, all of that is your responsibility and he can just kind of go do what he wants to do? Well, it's interesting now during separation because he doesn't think I'm entitled to the finances because he's earned them and he does not understand their non-financial contributions to the family. Or yeah. like he walks out the door, you know, for a month at a time and that leaves maybe the kids. But even um, by the end of our marriage, to be honest, um, he did nothing. So the only contribution he had was um, taking the kids, dropping them off at school and picking them up and taking them to activities. So um, he didn't contribute with any of the housework and then he'd just say oh it's your mess I choose to live in it and then when I'd ask for help with you know washing or dishes um it'd come back on me again that I created all this mess and it was my responsibility to clean it up because I created all the clothes that my kids wear and you know are dirty and then I'd use too many pots and pans to do cooking so it's my fault again that there were more than there should have been or whatever else 
Um, so, hey, um, everything was on me to try and do more. Like I got to the point I, I didn't, I don't sit down, I don't relax, I don't have time to watch Netflix, I have none of that. Like I am literally running around. And that's where I realised like he's sitting down watching reruns of some crap and I'm doing everything. And he would have seen me, right? Like, how can you not? And then he'd actually, like, tell me off for not having time for him. And I'm like, well, I don't actually think I do have time for you right now. <laughs> because, you know, I'm doing everything. So, no, I, I, I don't. And have- you're being such an asshole. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, there's that element that you subconsciously you probably don't want to, yeah, be there either. So, um, yeah. And, of course, even with when he does help out running the kids around and stuff, I'm still doing all, you know, the calendar in the background, making sure they've got everything they need for the day, packing lunches, doing all that stuff, Um, you know. So whilst he is literally running kids, you know, the executive function is all still with me. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so sort of I suppose post-diagnosis I didn't leave straight away but um, I started to have conversations around, well, you know, I've got ADHD, I can't organise things as well as maybe you can. You're good at these things. You should start helping. You should do this. You should do that. And he just said, no. He said, no, not helping. It's my rest. I'm not contributing at all. And I was like, hang on, like I shouldn't need to do all of this. And then there was other things. So I did bring up like um, sort of his drinking and stuff and I said, you know, like that's something I don't like, you know, that maybe we should discuss. Um, the you do. And then he started changing the stories around some of his drink, um, drinking because um, he did used to work with me. You? It's your yeah. fault? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That's what was starting to happen. So um, he used to work with me and he lost his job for a work, in, well, outside of work incident, but it was with work people when my kids were two and eight months old and I had to go back to work full time. Um and at the time I knew it wasn't my fault and I asked him to get help and assistance and that was the only way we were moving forward and he said that he did, which he didn't. He recently told me he didn't. Um, so then um, the story became that he didn't want to be at work anyway and it was all crap and everything was going on. And I'm like, hang on, what? No, you lost your job. <laughs> like, you know, it wasn't a choice. You lost your job. And then it was like, oh, you don't love me enough, you know, all these other things that, you know, oh. that's why I drink and all these other things. Um, and yeah, so the thing with, I suppose, controlling relationships, people probably don't understand because you don't know why you're in it. You don't know why you stay. So they convince you that they love you so much that it's for sort of your problem that you don't love them as much. So like you're told all the time that they love you. Like you're, so in theory, you should feel love. You don't really, but you know, they, 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 they constantly tell you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, you know. And it's, but it, but yeah. it's always words. They they don't show yeah, you yeah, that. No, that's right. But then you're convinced that you're the one not doing enough to show them because they love you and, like, why why don't I love them as much back or why can't I do as much, you know. So, um, yeah, once I started asking him to step up and do things and I was met with a lot of, um, you know, literally just no, um, I actually went – and this is, I didn't agree with the timing that I got the award because I don't think I deserved it that year, but I got an industry award through. Of course um, you deserved it that no, year. Not that year, no. Oh, like I needed it and it was the right timing, but um, I wasn't contributing, as I said, in my life as much as I should have been. So I ended up um, getting an award um, for my mining industry and um, I went to 
um, the conference. You deserved it. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And I realized that at the conference I could talk to CEOs, I could talk to board members, I could talk to all these really high people in business and like in mining and I had no issues there. I never felt stupid. They never, you know, like the conversations went one-sided, like I was contributing and everything and I had to get up to um, give a speech. And I don't think I quite realised, I suppose, um, the um, how prestigious the world was at the time either, which is a bit of a shame, but that's okay. Um, and I looked around and I saw hundreds of people yeah. just supporting me and I was like, how can I have more support at an annual conference than I can have at home like this is ridiculous among people um, you don't even yeah a lot of them yeah, from people I don't really know but they're just and they were mate like they're just yeah. yeah and so I actually went home after that conference and that's when I chose to separate hi it's Tracy if you've been listening for a while I bet you're starting to see your strengths and dare I say brilliance so can you imagine what working with me would be like Look, we love the sparkly and the new. So sometimes it can feel like we're all over the place. ADHD women often tell me, I'm interested in so much. Which of my many interests is the one that I should actually pursue? Well, we have these interest-driven brains, right? And hyper-focus. So if we can learn more about who we really are and what's truly important to us, our values, strengths, passion, purpose, all of it, right? We'll know exactly what we should be hyper-focusing on, and then the sky's the limit. That's exactly what we do in my six-week program, Your ADHD Brain is A-OK. It includes live coaching with me and a private community of women just like you, and it's open right now. We have two cohorts, and one of these cohorts starts on January 23rd. Wouldn't that be a great way to start the new year? Just like with my book, we're going to focus on how to fall in love with our ADHD brains. Now, if you're thinking about it at all, please take advantage of this promotion and get $500 off. But don't wait because the program is filling up. You can find out more at ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash AOK. Use the code podcast SAS. That's S-A-S-S to get $500 off the program just for being a podcast listener. I would love to have you join us. So now let's get on to our regular programming. Okay, let's say there is a woman listening right now. She has ADHD Mm -hmm. and she's struggling with something similar. Yeah. What is your advice to her? Because clearly from what you're telling us, you are so much happier that you got the oh. diagnoses. It brought about an awareness. And that is then what motivated you to start seeing what was really going on and make some really big changes for yourself. Yeah. So I would say, because um, I never had any threat of physical abuse or anything like that, which I know a lot of people under control, coercive control is the first level sort of into that. So um, if you... It doesn't matter what type of control because, unfortunately, um, people can separation is bad for everyone, divorce is bad for everyone. It's a trauma event. So people can change and people do change. So I would ensure that you are adequately set up so that you don't have to go back 
Like there's no option that you have to return, especially if it's a physically abusive relationship. So I still myself made sure that I had all the um, important documents from myself and the kids' birth certificates, passports and everything else. I made sure that I had access to money that he could not access the money that I do have. It's all on redraw. I should have actual money, but that's okay. I can live with that. Um, and then, yeah, just to make sure that if you need to limit that, you know, so just get everything in line first. So that's what I did before I actually separated. I actually went through each talk, talked to the bank. Um, I talked to, um, we have a separation um place in town I went and had a meeting with them about what I should do and they're like what you're not separated yet and you're trying to see us I'm like yeah I just want to understand what my options are um so yeah I would personally make sure all that's done and then have the conversation to be honest I'm actually glad that my husband didn't fight because if he fought I fought for me I probably would have stayed and I probably um yeah would have come up to a similar situation maybe in a few years I'm not sure but um the fact that he didn't fight for me is actually better for me. Um, but see, this is the interesting part too because I said I was leaving. We had we did have a family holiday booked for the next month, which was booked like a 12 months in advance. We're both pretty stubborn, so we both still went on it. We just didn't talk to each other. But because we didn't talk to each other, he thought we were fine. So that my, pleasant. Yeah, yeah, it was still okay. But, yeah, it was sort of, what I suppose, what we'd – become in our marriage a little bit that we didn't talk anyway so it wasn't much it wasn't dissimilar to what we actually had so um he just thought we're fine because we went on this holiday together and then I said sort of four months later I go you know I'm gonna get started on the financial part of our separation and stuff and he was like he didn't even have the respect to believe that I was leaving like he didn't believe me that I would leave and so he just thought, oh, she's just talking crap, you know, she's going to come back. And the other thing with that was it took me four months to realise that I started thinking differently and that the control was even there. So I didn't even realise when I left that I was under control. It was when I started thinking differently when I was out of the control that I even started to comprehend that it was there because when it's still now when you know, a health professional looks at me or I tell my story and people go, oh, domestic violence or close to control. I go, is it? Like I still can't quite get it. I like it's not quite there in my head. And I go, but, you know, he never physically hurt me, you know, all that sort of stuff. And you're like um, all these other things that I suppose, yeah. So for me, I, I had no idea. I had zero idea the control I was under. And it's only now. And, it, and his behaviour post-separation that goes okay yeah he thinks he was under control because a lot of things yeah I've happened that like yeah you're just trying to regain you had to get out to be able to see how unhealthy that relationship was that you were in and And how much you were under someone's control I mean you made a comment about when you went to go explain to him oh I was diagnosed with ADHD you actually had fear around that you were scared to tell him yeah yeah I had no idea and that's the scariest part for me the fact I didn't know and then you say to people oh you know they're like oh you know he was never good enough for you or we could see something and I'm like why did no one tell you like why does no one step up and go uh you're actually different because it's more planting the seed right it's not like you have to tell someone to leave their husband like I would never endorse doing that 
but it's like, are you okay with this situation? Because I know, Tracy, you talk about your husband has control of your finances and you're okay with that. I was not okay with that, but it's just what became, you know, part of my marriage. And I knew if I ever left that the financial control would be like, you know, and financial security would be an, an issue for me. Yeah. Um, but I, over a long time, that that's what happened and I, I can't change it now until, you know, we actually... <laughs> And I I should also say that he's got control of the finances, meaning he does all the work. But if at any point I want to go spend money or I want to get into an account and take out money, like, yeah. I mean, we have enough respect for each other that if it's over a certain, like, I would say if it's, I don't know, maybe over a thousand dollars, I would, I I would mention it to him just like he would probably mention it to me. Yeah. If it's for something personal, if it's for something for the kids or whatever, no. And, and I think yeah. that's that's the difference, right? It's the control yeah. versus I feel like I'm getting away scot-free that he's doing all the numbers <laughs> and the paying all the bills. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, like, you're right. I, I mean, I pay all the, like he paid the mortgages and stuff, but I paid all the day-to-day bills. And then it was always comments around, well, why doesn't your wage cover our cost of living and all these other things? And I'm like... Oh. Uh, you know, like, because I work part-time and other things like that. So, so you know what your is? It almost sounded like with your relationship, you and him, there was no positive emotion. Every, every encounter or like it was just all negative emotion. There was no team. No, there, it wasn't like that initially, but obviously like as life got busy with kids and stuff and See, he would just stop doing things. So then I'd pick up more and more. And of course, it was my fault and my, like, so I ended up, you know, it's more, of, I suppose there's another version of learned helplessness, right? Like, it's not that you're not doing anything, you're doing everything because you don't know what else to do because no one else is doing it. And yeah. kids aren't old enough to contribute or help, you know, and there's two adults in the house and the other one's literally doing, like, because he's like, just don't do it. And you're like, but if I don't do it, no one's going to do it. Like, it doesn't work, you know. Um, somebody <laughs> needs to. Um, and you can't outsource like everything, you know, everything right. day to day, especially when someone's just sitting there doing nothing. I don't understand why they can't put on a load of machine. Why or... do we need to hire someone, right? You can get <laughs> yeah. off your butt away from the yeah. television and you can help. Yeah. So um no, there wasn't no, there was not. Okay, a lot, but talk but... to us about you said, okay, it was not like this at the beginning. Yet where there and I asked and I thought you said yes, but weren't there signs that I mean, did you feel that with Ben, he loved and appreciated you for who you are, worth of anything else? And he wouldn't have your back. Was that at the beginning? Probably, was it like no, that? no, probably not. I like, I would probably say that I did settle a little bit because, like I said, I hadn't had much experience. People, boys weren't interested in me. And I was like, well, this is it. You know, I suppose a progressive thing you have a relationship, you get married, you have kids, sort of thing. Um, he always wanted kids. He seemed like he'd be a good dad. Um, so, and like, you know, when he is present and that's his choice when he's present, unfortunately, when he is present, he is a good dad, but he chooses not to be present a lot and on devices and other things as well. Um, so even when he's there, he wasn't there anymore. By the end, he was just sitting on his, you know, phone playing chess or something cool. And you're like, really, your kids are right in front of you. You know, you don't get a lot of time with them. You work away. Can you interact with them and everything else? So even now, post-separation, he bought them all switches so they all sit on the couch together when they're when he's mm. looking after them and they sit there and do that instead. Um, 
but uh yeah so like I mean there was always things but I mean I probably and I said my grandma was my favorite person but one thing that really st- sticks with me that she said is you know marriage is hard relationships are hard you've got to work at it and so I probably had more that attitude that like yeah, everyone has these issues. And the thing that really gets me is I don't um, – it's probably similar in America, but in Australian society, everyone complains about that their, you know, spouses or husbands specifically, sorry, don't do enough, you know, or they, you know, they don't help enough with the housework, they don't help enough with this, they don't do this, they don't do that, they don't. And so when I hear that in conversation, I'm like, well, okay, my, my husband doesn't help either, so – you know, like it's pretty common. This is normal. Husbands not to help, so that's okay. The thing, the difference that I didn't realise probably till recently is that, you know, their husbands or spouse gives them like emotional support, which is not what I had. I didn't have any emotional support. So even if, you know, their husbands do are breadwinners, work more, do all that stuff, and they've, it's a choice for them and they've chosen to allocate, you know, the housework to the woman and you know the money earning to the man and that but that's more of a choice for me it wasn't a choice everything was forced upon me so I was just like well you're gonna you're not and it wasn't like I wasn't told but then when no one else does anything you're in the house you're the only one you have to do it you know so the thing is um, I think it's always hoisted upon us I don't think it's a choice if you're socialized to believe that this is work and then also yeah. go yeah go out and get a career you know you're not blackmailed. What's the word? Brainwashed. How can a woman yeah. do all of this? A woman with ADHD, right? Yeah. Our executive yeah. functions tend to be the problem. And so then and you, you want to give that all to us? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so he's much better at cleaning and things than I am. So it did annoy me a bit. But anyway. How did ADHD play even more all of this? And or did it also... Was it easier for you to get sucked into this because of ADHD, do you think? Undiagnosed, I would mm-hmm. say 100% yes, because I already had, um, and I would never openly, like I'm a very positive person. Um, I do see the good side of almost everything, which is why I even through all this, I actually didn't have depression. I was just trying harder to do everything better. And then I realized maybe the problem isn't me. Um, so the undiagnosed part of being different but I was never allowed to be different I suppose when I was young so my ability to mask is like second to none and I can see that in my second child as well his ability to mask is phenomenal no one at school would ever pick him up as ADHD they wouldn't pick him up as autistic anything so you know our ability to like and that's where I think it's actually maybe even better than neurotypical people our ability to learn behaviors and social cues like we should get an acting award, I think, because we are pretty good at it, even if we don't understand what's going on in our heads. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, what you see externally is not the same as going on internally. So whilst you may present as essentially normal in every respect, internally, you, you know you're not and you just don't get it. And so knowing I was always different, not understanding what that different meant and not having, I suppose, the right role models maybe for social interactions and things like that and setting precedent and people not maybe not stepping up and saying, oh, are you sure this relationship is right for you or, you know, do you know what you're doing or this isn't the way other people operate because for me everything is learned. So when people say 
this happens to them. I'm like, okay, well, that happens to me too. So I can tick that box, you know, that, that's fine. So um, I don't have that intuition, I suppose, with social interactions to know things can be different all the time um, or to, yeah, so I think I'm a lot more accepting of what happens because I think people are nice as well and <laughs> people will be nice to you. Um, and I don't, like, I, I've, I've been trying to convince myself ever since I left that um, he didn't understand the situation I was in and he didn't understand the control. And I still like to think that, but then his behaviour post sort of made me think mm, maybe like he was in a good position, right? He was doing nothing. He had three beautiful kids. He had like outwardly, you know, you got this beautiful family um, and he didn't have to do any work for it. So, you know, I can understand why for him it was probably, and like, I mean, he doesn't seem to mind that we weren't interacting well, that this, you know, that we weren't communicating. He didn't really care about that side of things either so um so yeah, it's just so that if you feel like from the time you're little something's wrong with you that you're not going to even get any better so you should just settle and accept what you get because you're lucky to get that yeah and I think if you have good role models and good people in your life and you know very like because you don't need a diagnosis to be accepted right so if you think differently, you, do, you can have the most amazing parents that are just like, yeah, cool, all right, that's fine, you know, like, yeah. and as long as they validate you for yourself and your thinking is okay, I think you'll be fine. And then if they, you know, like, oh, those friends, maybe are they okay? Like, you know, and they teach you something around that. Like, I think you'd excel in life, to be honest. Um, but being, always knowing you're on the back foot, always people questioning like, oh, you're intelligent, but you don't seem to get everything, like what's going on with you, why are you, you know, and like you said, am I messy? So later in life I probably am a bit messier, you know, so then people come over to your house and they judge you for stuff and things being everywhere and you're, but you're successful, you should be able to clean this up and it's like, well, actually I can't organise things, so I really struggle with that. Because when people don't know you're different and you don't know you're different. It's, it's, it can only be you, right? So you're the issue. You're the problem. Yeah. Everything's yeah. on you. So even if that social interaction neurotypically was a bit crap too, like someone, I don't know, didn't want to be your friend or something, um, as a neurodiverse person, there's less understanding in it anyway. And you go, because you're very logical and you go, but I did this and this happened. So why did this person then move away? And I think sometimes you just need that closure or that, um, discussion through like other people and then they give a different perspective and you go, oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. Like it's only recently that a friend said to me, um, you probably stayed in your marriage for as long as you did because your, you know, your parents married, your grandparents married, everyone in my family stays in their marriages. So, you know, they've had tough times and you see with your own parents, it's not always the best relationship that they have, but yeah, they stick it through. So you're like, well, if they can do it, maybe... Maybe that's what it's meant to be. This is marriage is about, right? Yeah. Like you just had this understanding that, oh, all marriages are like this. Yeah. You don't realize that there's a whole pasture out there of really happy marriages where the couples yeah. are really supportive and, you know, you feel like you've got a cheerleader. And I, I also think that when you start out and you're young and you feel like you don't fit in, even in your own family, that's trauma. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is you never feel safe. So you find a partner 
that also makes you feel not particularly safe. Yeah, exactly. Because it's comfortable to you because it's what you know. Yeah, and that's where um, trauma plays a big part because now that people listen to me and, and I actually ask people, what are you doing? And they go, I'm listening to you. And I'm like, oh, because probably by the end of my marriage, I couldn't even really say a full sentence without it coming back on me for anything. So um, there was no listening, comprehending, understanding from my side. But now, because I love that challenge, I love like, I love talking to people. So I'm probably not good in a group, but, you know, one-on-one, I absolutely love it. So I I will talk to whoever will listen now about neurodiversity and control and things like that. Um, but I've found, like, over the last 12 months, it's been the best conversations of my life. And, you know, no one's talking to me about the weather or anything. Like, it's really engaging. And it's I've... Important. Yeah, well, I've only found literally maybe one person that you go, okay, you you're, you know, you don't want to discuss this. Whereas the majority of people are like, yeah, all right. Wow. That's a really interesting perspective. I didn't know about this. And How are your kids doing? So my kids. Are Do you have any girls by the way? Or is it yeah, just. Yeah, I have a, a little daughter. So I have. Oh, that's great. Um, I'll start with my eldest son. So this isn't another element as well, which is, I didn't see either till recently. So my eldest son um, is very, very neurotypical. So he um, he is very intelligent. He is a sponge though. So he does, you know, take on sort of everything around him. So, you know, he's, he's pretty good at school. He's got friends. He does well at most things. But I have always butted heads with him. I've always had a, bit, a few issues um, trying to talk to him. And it was only very, very recently that I realised he sounds like his dad. So um, I have an eight-year-old who uses his intelligence and his quick wit to put people down subtly in conversations. My psychologist said it's the only um, behaviour he's seen in his life. Well, obviously he has friends, but, you know, it's the main behaviour he's seen modelled by dad and he thinks it's okay to talk to people that way and he thinks that, you know, that's acceptable social well, behaviour. To his mom that way, so then he thinks, "Oh, I can talk to her that way too, right?" Yeah, and exactly. disrespectful, and and so it's but it's very subtle. It's not like obvious. It's not like they name calling. It's not anything like that at all. It's just this. He's very quick, like his dad, isn't it? Like very quick, very intelligent, and so he can put people down very easily, um, which is not what he should do. Um, thankfully, he has empathy. Thankfully, majority of his good friends have ADHD. So he can't ignore the fact that ADHD exists and he's actually very helpful to a lot of his friends with disabilities and things like that. So he'll grow up in a very different environment and now recently with separation, he, so my kids actually do talk very openly to me, which I'm very happy about. Um, and he sort of said, oh, mum, dad's actually meaner and angrier than you. And I'm like, hmm, well, I'm glad both your parents are mean and angry. That's great. But, you know, um, yeah, so he's starting to see those signs and he's like, Dad doesn't ask please and thank you when he gets to do things because, you know, a little bit of that control is now coming out in the kids obviously because I'm not there anymore and things like that. So um, he will grow and develop and he has already um, in the separation because he was essentially modelling those behaviours that he saw and I as a parent would absolutely be distraught if he did this to any person in his life so I need to educate him differently about 
yeah, how to speak to people. But I can't have those trauma responses either that I have with dad where I get angry or overwhelmed and irritated. So it's there's a bit of a balancing act there for me as well. What about the second guy? My my beautiful second boy, um, he – so the minute I got my diagnosis – I went, oh, I know what's going on with you, mate. So I got him. So he got that inattentive ADHD diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially he presents like most women would. Um, so he's very quiet, but he's very much in his own head. Um, he has had some issues with meltdowns and stuff. So um, And the more we talk about the ADHD and the more we're open about that, autism's definitely present as well and that's, become, you know, come out more. And he is the most... Yeah, he's the most easiest little boy um, besides, obviously, when he gets overwhelmed and has a meltdown. But um, is he happier? He, does he feel like, does it feel yeah, like? Yeah, so he, he um, yeah, post, post-diagnosis, he's definitely um, happy at like, and I've, well, I, I seem to have a lot of neurodiverse friends, go figure. It's what happens, right? Um, the people you keep in your lives. And so like one time he's like, mom, I've got music in my head and I can't go to sleep. And I go, oh, I don't have music in my head, but my friend does, my friend Beck, let's ring her. So we rang her and she's talking him through, yeah, yeah, I hear music all the time. And he hung up the phone and he goes, mom, there's more of us. And I'm like, that's, oh, right. that's all they need to hear, right? <laughs> and yeah, so um, he's starting to get better now with um, sort of the overall moment. He used to hurt me quite a bit earlier this year. Um, now he's starting to just need his own space and t- he can talk it through a bit better. So um, when I get overwhelmed and I apologise, he's got he says the most beautiful things and he goes, oh, mum, but you've only just known you've got ADHD too, so you need to get used to it and you need to find ways to manage yourself too. And I'm like, oh, thanks, mate. That's beautiful. And, yeah, so um, his thought process is quite different. He's very intelligent but he's not um, standard. He always has friends. So in Australia we play a lot of ball sports, soccer, cricket, everything else. He's always had you know, very good hand-eye coordination. So as a result, in Australian society as a white male, you'll essentially have always have friends if you are good at sports. So he's yeah. got that going for him. And he's never not without a friend. He just has a small friends group, which is fine. That's all you need in life. You just need a couple friends. Unfortunately, he's the one that's going to suffer most through the separation. So he says things like, dad doesn't like the way my brain works. Um, dad doesn't like me. I get in trouble more with dad, you know, all that stuff. And he has so much negative, well, he already has negative self-talk, but then it, you know, comes up about dad. So he masks so heavily around dad that dad doesn't know his true son in any respect at all because um, he's not the version of himself that he is with, well, he's only that version with me anyway. But um, And he doesn't accept the meltdowns. He doesn't accept that things might need to be done differently, that he is a different person to the older son. Um, and so... Is he, I, I mean, the fact of the matter, though, is you are that adult in his life, right, who's always yeah. talking strengths and talking him up as far as the things he's amazing at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's got me and he'll be fine, but it's just unfortunate that um, my husband can't see that, like, he needs to change for that relationship to be different. Um, Because there's nothing on my son, like, you know, my six years old. He needs to learn strategies. And even like the interventions and stuff, my husband's like, no, I'm not paying for any of them. If you want to do them, they're on you. And I'm like, he needs needs things. And like the other, you know, like buying. Is your son doing better though? 
since oh his- amazingly better. So since he's he he was a bit like me, I think he got his diagnosis. He's like, oh cool, I, it's okay to be different. I am different. Um, awesome. And so he still masks at school and you know in those social situations and everything else. But at home, he's very neurodiverse now, and you know very different, which is fine. And what he says and what he talks about is very different to the other children. Even like in relation, you know, he asks me a lot of times when I'm going to die, when he's going to die, how we're going to find each other again and a lot of other things like that which I don't find neurotypical people think about as much and and even he's been asking me recently, oh, so can I be undiagnosed for these? Like, you know, does it go away? How do, you know, and so the questions are all valid. Um, They're just very different to the way I think um, my other kids think for sure. So what about your third, your daughter? My daughter is the most beautiful little girl and um, she is, the most resilient kid you'll ever meet. And I probably um, think that she's the one that I worry about the least in this situation because she's going to be the one that, you know, holds dad to account and me too, for that matter, Um, tells her like it is and she's not going to take crap from anybody because um, (laughs) she's just powerful and strong. And so far that I can tell very neurotypical too, I can't see a lot of traits of, anything sort of creeping in yet but I know girls can be different um but you know her social cues in from being a baby she was very very switched on from a few months old about what was going on socially um so yeah she I mean she's still not at school yet or anything but it has a few friends which is like I said what you need um well and I think the beauty of all of this is that you're her most important role model, right? yeah, because you're the same sex parent. Well, that's why I needed to do things differently because if I'd continued on that pathway, I was starting to shame my kids and do things like you know, even when you're like something or something happens, you're like bloody kids, like you just never can get out the door and all that stuff. And that's not what I wanted for my children, um, you know, because it's rarely their fault, but it, they're an easy excuse, and that's what I realised I was starting to do, and that's it easy way to you know deflect blame off yourself I suppose as well um so now that I'm doing better they're doing better and yeah they're like they're they're thriving and they speaking up and our relationship's better and we talk about everything we talk you know we're very open and honest about everything so we talk about our emotions and what's happened and even like I said now with me when I have a meltdown or something doesn't go my way or something happens I'm not too big to stand up and say, I'm sorry, I did that. That was not appropriate. And my kids will hold me to account and say, mum, that wasn't fair. You know, like you shouldn't have done that either. And I'll be like, yeah, you're, you're right, actually. Uh, I apologise. So we're working through it all together. We're a very chaotic family, let's say. Um, but my kids have always been beautiful. I love chaos. So, <laughs> so if we yeah. can wrap this up, I would love for you to speak for one minute to a woman in a similar situation that you were in, mm-hmm. what would you have to say to her? I would say that the options are out there. There's better things. Separation and divorce isn't easy for anybody. Um, it is, and it's not what I wanted for my family or my children, but sometimes it is actually the right thing to do. And they can benefit from that. It doesn't need to be a trauma in their lives. Yeah, make sure you have 
um, the systems in place. I have an amazing support network of friends that actually assist me through this because you do need that help, especially when that person's controlling, they'll come back and they'll try and regain that control. So you need to be strong enough to know that and be okay and move forward and then work on yourself. So in that respect, if I know it's a bit of a privileged thing if you have money, go do the therapies. I would not be in the position I'm in 12 months later if I had not had professional assistance. Talking to friends is amazing and good, but they're, they're limited by what they know and their perspectives. So, um, yeah, look after yourself first. If you look after yourself, everything else will follow. That's so true. And so would you say it's the best decision you've made? Yeah, obviously I probably could have made a better decision not to, you know, engage in the relationship initially, but, um, you know, I... I have the three kids from it, right? right? And they're amazing. So, like, you know, but at the same time, I can't see how, why I would suffer all this trauma if it wasn't to share my experience and educate people because otherwise, like, it's a pretty depressing place to be in. Um, So, you know, for me... My management of the trauma, I suppose, is, yeah, educating other people and the amount of people, because I now speak up at work things and um, in other situations and I get so much feedback and so many people come and say thank you so much for sharing your stories. And it's, like I said, you would never tell someone to leave their husband, but if you're talking about it and these people are like, oh, hang on, is that my situation? Is that something I'm in? Then they may consider looking into it further and doing something different. And if, you know, one person, two people maybe puts that question in their head, they might consider it other options. And it's like I said, it's not ideal, but unfortunately sometimes it's the best thing. You just said, I can't advise, I'm not going to tell people to just go leave their spouse. And I had the same conversation with my editor. She's like, because that's what I said. And I have to tell you, when I have women go through my AOK program, the other day someone asked me, I think we were in the big Facebook group and someone asked me about that. And like, what am I most proud of? Like, are there experiences that I remember? And I said, you know what I actually remember better than anything is frankly, and I'm proud of this, is the number of women that have gone through my AOK program and then ended up marriages or yeah. their, their partnerships. And, you know, the woman who was interviewing me and I'm like, yeah, because that shows that that wasn't a right fit for them. And yeah. by going through AOK, they discovered who they really were and their worth and that they need to start listening to their own intuition because mm-hmm. they are the best expert on their life they will ever have. And so I had this conversation with my editor and she rewarded it. And I really liked the way she said it because she didn't say just leave them. But this is so the how. Problem, um, yeah, the problem is that you lose that intuition or you lose that. Um, you think your intuition's wrong. Right, exactly. Right. You second and guess that's it where, Yeah. So, so this it, is what she said. Actually, this is how she rewarded it. It was more the last sentence that she did. Some women ask me what to do if their partner refuses to learn about ADHD or believes the condition doesn't exist or is just an excuse. Tell them what I'll share with you now. Continue to learn about ADHD and work on yourself. Tell us of what your partner will or won't do or what they believe. Focus on your strengths, values, and what generates positive emotion for you. Over 
your partner may begin to see a positive change in you and want to learn more about ADHD. If this doesn't happen, remember, we all deserve relationships in which we feel loved and accepted and have the space to be who we really are. So that last sentence, how she wove it in there, I really like that because it was basically saying it without saying it. Yeah, so so I'm hoping that my husband learns through my child, actually, and he sees the positive changes in my child and then realizes that um, our son with ADHD, that, you know, the things can be done differently because, um, yeah, that I'm not, I don't see any, like, if there's room for change, I get it, stick with it, but there was zero evidence yeah. that anything would change in my situation. So um, I did choose. And it's one of those things that you go, is it worth putting the effort in? You know, like, is it worth trying to educate this person? They don't want to be educated. Um, so you can't. Some, you can't. No, and I have educated a lot of people, but some people, you know, it's no. not worth your effort and it's just going to drag you down. Okay. Um, so Maya, where can people find you? if they'd like to connect with you. So I have provided you with my email, maya.n.1983. And just so so our audience knows, we're just using your first and, is this your middle name, Maya Ann? Yeah, that's right. We're using your first and middle name because, and not a last name, just to keep things as private as possible. So what I have is maya.ann.1983 at gmail.com. Correct. So um, yeah, just, yeah, just on that, I um, yeah, I'm still going through separation, and I am just an ordinary person that listens to Tracy. I'm not a professional of any what type, so I can't really provide you with um, you know, any knowledge on psychology or um, anything like that. But I'm just here because I've been through it. Yeah, um, you're the best kind of expert. You've lived it, right? Can I just give one? I just want to give because I was thinking about my ADHD workaround farewell. Um, so, um, obviously I exercise, I have, you know, routine structure and everything else, but the recent one I've realized is, um, and I think it's way, way more important for neurodiverse people because obviously no one should be around toxic people. But the thing that I've come to be aware of is that if I'm around like sort of negative people in any respect, and like you said, it can be work and it can be home, I start to, um, mirror and reflect their behaviors and my psychologist thinks it's mainly because it's you know my my masking and my trauma and I think a lot of um neurodiverse people and women will do that so if you are actually you know working with someone who's really toxic or um have a partner in that space it's likely you're going to take on some of those negative traits that they have and you're not even going to be aware of it um and so I've actually chosen to work less with certain people that are likely to do that and to associate less with people in my life that will bring that out in me because it's a sub it's on a subconscious level for me so I don't even know that I'm doing it and I don't know that it's affecting me because it's just a part I've masked for 39 years you know and then obviously that trauma response has probably been there about the same time so you know try what you can to make sure you have really good people in your life um and yeah, that'd be my biggest ADHD worker. And that's what I'm going to do for okay. the rest of my life. <laughs> okay. That's, that sounds like a brilliant one, Maya. Maya, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. No drama. Thank you very much for having me. Wonderful. So 
That's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Maya, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, giving as many women as we possibly learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. Don't forget to order my book, ADHD for Smartass Women with HarperCollins' William Morrow, ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash book. That's the URL. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. Join us at ADHDforsmartwomen.com, where you can find more information on my new book, ADHD for Smartass Women, and my patented Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system to help you get unstuck and fall in love with your brilliant brain.